Our passage of Scripture today comes from John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Hear God's holy and infallible word. No one has ascended into heaven except the, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, let us begin with a moment of prayer. Father, we need your help to understand. We need your spirit to change us. Illuminate your word to our hearts today. Give us the attention we need to hear. Give us the wisdom to apply it in our lives. Help us to look to Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. If you remember last week, our scripture reading, I stopped at two verses early to include verses 13 and 14 and 15 before the oh-so-famous verse from John chapter 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's probably the most quoted piece of scripture in our day. If you remember, you know, Tim Tebow was this famous Christian athlete who had eye black on, and on the eye black it said John 3:16. You'll see often in crowds, people holding up signs, John 3.16. And it's a great verse. It's one that tells us a lot. And yet we want to make sure we understand the full meaning of it. And so we want to include all of the context in which it's placed. Uh, If you're looking in our pew Bible or your own Bible, you'll see that there's a break in your Bible and there's a new paragraph and it starts with that verse. Those breaks didn't exist as the Bible was originally written. And they exist now because of things like the popularity of this verse. It's so central to American Christianity that, well, we're going to put a break at verse 16. Because we need a break every once in a while. Give our eyes a rest, a a marker in our mind, so that we can continue to read with understanding. But I want us to really take this whole section. In fact, all of chapter 3, as Jesus has been interacting with Nicodemus, beginning in verse 1, until this end of this section in verse 21, is all one narrative. It's connected to this whole idea of what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus about the need to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven, to, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. He didn't understand what it meant to be born again. He didn't understand the need for this new birth. 
So Jesus shifts a bit. And he begins to talk about himself as the Son of Man. The one who's ascended to heaven and descended. It's imagery of, certainly from the book of Ezekiel, called the Son of Man. But this promise of Daniel chapter 7 that the Son of Man is going to come on the clouds of heaven. But then he refers to this Old Testament story that I'm sure Nicodemus would have been familiar with. But it might not be one that you're familiar with. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him have eternal life. And that passage comes from, uh, that he's alluding to comes from Numbers chapter 21. If you have a pew Bible, uh, that's page 120. If you don't have a pew Bible, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth, bi- fourth book in your Bible is towards the front. Numbers chapter 21 tells us this story. We're going to spend a lot of time in this passage because Jesus is making a very strong connection that this reality, what Moses did in this passage, relates to what Nicodemus needs to know about the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4. And here's what it says. From Mount Hor they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the lake of Edom, uh, to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. There's a lot going on in this passage. In some ways, it's kind of a crazy story. In another way, it's just one of these examples from the people of Israel as they grumbled and complained against God. That they come to Moses and they complain that they were taken out of Egypt and they don't have any food and water although they had plenty of food and water as the Lord had continued to provide for them. And the manna from heaven, God's provision each day, they call worthless food. And so the Lord sends judgment on them in the form of fiery serpents. I don't know, that just elicits to me like the worst possible situation. A whole bunch of fiery serpents coming after you. You know, all these cobras or something just ready to bite you. And if we read the Bible well, we know that serpents are not, you know, a good character in our story. It's the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. So the Lord sends these serpents among the people, and it says that many of the people of Israel died. They realize their error, and they ask the Lord to remove the serpents. Pray that the Lord would remove the serpents. And he doesn't do that. The Lord instead provides an antidote. 
He doesn't deliver them from this wrath, this judgment, but he provides for them a way to live. If they just look up at this snake that Moses is going to make, uh, they're going to live. It's an interesting solution to their problem. And Jesus is saying this is like him. Like this serpent, Jesus will be lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Goes on to say a bit more about why this happens, why he's come, what's happening. This allusion to this story, the parallels of it in our own day and age. What Jesus is doing for Nicodemus and for us is reminding us of where we are in the story. We're told that Jesus doesn't come to judge the world, to condemn the world, right? That's not why Jesus came. Why? Because the world was condemned already. Nicodemus has this mindset that he is close to the kingdom of heaven, that he's not condemned, that he just needs to learn a little bit more about the kingdom from Jesus. That his birth in the line of Abraham is good enough, that his good deeds will get him there. And he just wants to understand what Jesus' message is going to add. Jesus is clear here that he didn't come to bring judgment against the world because the world was already judged. It's like the Israelites who've already rebelled against God and are under his wrath. His judgment has already been poured out. The the verdict is already in. They were guilty of rebelling against the Lord and against Moses, and so it is with the world. Condemned already. We're already being bitten by the fiery serpents. And so why did Jesus come? John 3.16, because God loved the world. Not just Israel, not just the descendants of Abraham, but God loved people from around the world. And he was going to provide for them a way of escape from his wrath, an antidote to the bite of the serpent, a way to live in the midst of certain death. Nicodemus wants Jesus to tell him more information about God's kingdom. But Jesus is turning the tables on him and saying, it's not about more information. It's not about more works. It's about looking to me. You want me to teach you, but you need to look to me. He begins to reveal to him more about who he is. God sent his one and only son, his only begotten son. Now, you have to understand how significant that is at this time. Like, not only would your oldest son be the inheritor of all that you have, right? Your whole life at this time would have been tied up in your family and your inheritance and the lineage afterwards. It gave purpose to your life. I know that I'm going to build our household up and my son, my oldest son is going to take over it. But if my oldest son dies... Well, 
the middle, middle child will get it. You know, finally the win for the middle child. But this is God's only son. It is the only one who can inherit all of God's blessing. That's the imagery that's being forced here. That the one whom God loves so much that is the embodiment of everything about the kingdom of God, he sent. Seemingly putting his inheritance and his heir at risk. But why? Why would he do this? Because of his great love for us. So that we can have eternal life. It's quite simple. The reaction that people ought to have. What Jesus is telling him to do is not difficult in terms of meeting some sort of requirement. Jesus is saying we need to understand where we're at in the story. And when we realize that we have fallen short, like the Israelites realize we've sinned against the Lord, we've sinned against Moses. What can we do? We must look to the Son of Man who's been lifted up. And Jesus identifies himself with this serpent, which is, as I said earlier, like the most evil creature in all of Scripture. And so in this passage from Numbers 21, God is taking the image of his wrath, the image of his curse, the image of evil, and he's putting it up as the solution. And the promised king, the promised Messiah, the one who Nicodemus wants to learn from is identifying himself with the most wretched thing in all of creation. He's identifying himself with the wrath and the curse of God. He must. Because that's where we find ourselves, under the wrath and curse of God. And we must look to the one who has taken the curse on himself. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Christ has hung himself on the tree. And we just look to him to be delivered from the wrath and curse that we have found ourselves in. Jesus then changes the imagery a bit to talk about light coming into the world. If you remember in our first chapter of John, he talks about uh, the word being the light and the life of men. Jesus is beginning to elaborate on his role as light in the world. And light can have two effects on us. Light, it, it has this ability to illuminate our condition. What is real? It will either draw you in or cause you to flee. You see, if you're a young child and you're lost in the darkness somewhere, you don't know which way to go, and you see some light far off, you don't know if it's a car or a house or a street light, but it draws you in, right? It's a, it's a glimmer of hope. It's, it's the place you must go so that you can see what is happening. On the other hand, if you're running from the police at night and they're shining their spotlight across the houses in the neighborhood, oh, you better hope that light doesn't land on you. Because it would reveal where you are. It would expose who you are, your deeds. You would be caught. 
so it is as Christ comes into the world, as his spirit is at work, as his word goes forth, it has one of these two reactions to us. It will either convict us of our sin and cause us to bring it to the one who took the curse for us. We will either have the confession of the people of Israel in Numbers 21. We have sinned against the Lord. Let's pray that he would remove this wrath from us. Or it will cause us to run and to hide. To hide our evil deeds. It's a pretty black and white message Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus. That he's telling to us. The result of the new birth is that it gives us the ability to look to Jesus, to know that he is the one who can do what we cannot do for ourselves, that when the light shines on us, it causes us to be drawing near to him. And we're not just forgiven, right? We're not just avoiding snakes to die in this, eternal, this earthly life. We have a much bigger problem and a much greater opportunity. The much greater problem is that we are eternal souls. And that left under the judgment and wrath of God, we will be eternally under it. But over and over again in this passage is the phrase that we may have eternal life. Not just a better life now. Not just an okay life. Not just a life for a long time. We don't just get to live in Florida until we're 95 or 100. Right? We will have eternal life. Life in the presence of God. And when Jesus comes as the only son of God and dies and is resurrected and we are caught up in his identity where God puts at risk his only son and in response he gains all sorts of new sons and daughters. As we are united to Christ, we become co-heirs with him. We are elevated to a place that we don't belong. And we inherit all of the blessings of the kingdom, which is summarized in that statement of eternal life. The message is simple. Let us look to Christ. Let us confess our error and our place in the story. God's wrath and judgment has already been executed on the world, and yet he loved us. And so he has provided for us one who has taken upon the curse, taken upon his wrath, and we just must look to him, our only hope. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that You've provided a way for the wrath and judgment against the world to be placed upon somebody else. We cannot bear it. We cannot withstand your judgment. Give us your spirit to look to Christ, to look to the one who is lifted up, the Son of Man, who's borne our transgressions and our evil ways, that we might have new life in his name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.